0: Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Nancy Evans, along with Candace Carpenter, founded iVillage in the mid-1990s. iVillage was one of the first community-focused sites on the early web, and it grew to be one of the biggest of its kind. Not only was iVillage a site and a company founded by women but it was also among the first sites that targeted women as a demographic in the early web era. Nancy recounts for us the development of the company, the benefits and pitfalls involved in being one of the highest-flying companies of the dot-com era, and gives us some powerful perspective on the role women have played from the very beginning of the web era. I should note here that this was a bit of a star-crossed interview session that involved several interruptions to our discussion. As well, there is a small background buzz during the first half of our talk that I do apologize for. It goes away halfway through. But frankly, there have been way worse episodes previous to this one in terms of sound quality, and the quality of the conversation is fantastic. So, Small technical issues aside, I'm sure you're absolutely going to love this conversation with iVillage co-founder Nancy Evans. Nancy Evans, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. You're welcome. Um, I do like to start off with a little bit of people's background, so I was curious, uh, where where you grew up?
2: I grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. which people always say, oh, gosh, you know, I guess you grew up in New York City because it's so nearby, but it was really quite different. Than growing up in a big city, it was a real small town. Everyone knew my grandparents, my parents, um, all my teachers. <laughs> knew mm-hmm. I mean, you always felt watched. You had to behave well. So a small town upbringing, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you, you went to college. You went to Skidmore College. Yeah. And yeah. What was your What was your degree?
2: Well, no, I transferred um, to Wesleyan. It okay. was like during the time of women's colleges and men's colleges beginning uh-huh. to kind of you know go hey the single sex the way to go so my major was um english Mm -hmm. and then i um i went to columbia uh, for a master's in 17th century literature Mm. and um given that there were uh, very few role models back there a lot of my role models were professors you know Mm. and i thought that would be a, a pretty good life and I guess with, with that sort of a degree,
0: uh, publishing is a logical place to go for a career.
2: Well, no, not actually. No. No, <laughs> no it wasn't logical. Um, I had published a lot before mm-hmm. um, before college and during college. So I'd always been a writer and I'd gotten, you know, published in academic journals and, you know, American Scholar and things like that as mm-hmm. an academic, you know, where you mm-hmm. always use the word one would think, mm-hmm. for instance. Um and uh, and then I got and published, you know, an essay I wrote about not making Sylvia Plath my role model because oh. Sylvia Plath was very popular right. during my day as a as a smart woman right. um, who did achieve something, but then ultimately did commit suicide. So I thought that part of it, it was time to get over that being part of the role model. So I wrote a piece that got published in Glamour. So I was I was always getting um, published, and I had edited some stuff. And when I was in graduate school. Um, you know, being in the 17th century, I, I um, began pining to be in what was then the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I, 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 I really wanted to get into real publishing and not stay in academia. Um, so, would you
0: say that your publishing career sort of starts at Harper's? Yes. Is that or is that skipping over something? No, that's probably yeah. where it starts. And you're yeah. at Harper's for what, five or six years?
2: Um, th- this is when you can't count on me because I'm not right. so good at all the chronology. Mm-hmm. No, I was probably there for. Um, Three years. Mm-hmm. And I need to say that one of the things about Harper's was that um, there was a section of the magazine back then called Wraparound, which was very much coming out of the polar catalog, um, uh, Stuart Brand, 60s kind of ethos. Mm-hmm. And the wraparound section of the magazine was, rather than having just, you know, Saul Bellow and Norman Mailer, who were regular, Tom Wolfe, mm-hmm. they were regular writers back then for Harper's. Right. It was to add in voices from readers. Mm. It was to add in voices from normal people. Mm. And you would take a theme money, power, work and in this 24 page wraparound insert on the magazine, you talk about that subject with famous names, cheek by jowl with, mm. you know, Brian McCullough and mm-hmm. Nancy Evans. Mm-hmm. No, name. no names. <laughs> um, nice no names, but no names. Um, and I loved that way of. Um, Kind of creating journalism, and there was then a spinoff called Harper's Weekly, right? Because Harper's Weekly, um, along with the magazine, were both these you know nineteenth-century publications, mm-hmm. and so Harper's Weekly was revived, which was called a reader-written newspaper mm-hmm. and very very webby in its
0: well and, and premise. Thinking of the audience as. As material and it's, as
2: participants, right? That sort of, you you're the heroes here. Well, yeah. that obviously
0: will serve you well soon. But um, so you're you're a contributing editor to Glamour uh, for about eight years or so. So that that gets into the um, the woman focused publishing arena. Um, you're also um, you write for a bunch of places, but you're also the editor in chief of the Book of the Month Club, mm-hmm. and you launch a pub uh, magazine with Jan Wenner, as your partner, I
2: think. Oh, that's way later. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Way later. I, I'm, I'm sort of hopping around here, yeah. but I, I want to get a sense of, um, so you, you have this experience working in publishing, working in, in female-focused publishing as well, and and how that's preparing you for what's coming.
2: Up. I think more than the female focus, because was the um, um, coming out of Harper's with another Harper's um Magazine editor, um, I co-authored a book called How to Get Happily Published. Mm. The happily is the key word in that because mm. lots of people get published, but they don't get published happily. Mm. They get published miserably. They mm. go, my mother can't find my book. Mm. You know, where is it? They're they're very um, they're very unhappy. And that book was really a um, a way to level the playing field so that anyone who had a story to tell. Mm-hmm anyone who had something important to say, we were giving them the etiquette of how to get published. Mm. That that was very important because mm-hmm. I believe that lots of people didn't get published not because they didn't have a good story, it's because they just didn't know, you know the ins and outs mm-hmm. of the elite publishing world. So really that's my DNA is breaking down barriers mm. um, that I was I was allowed into elite settings where all I wanted to do was to change the rules. Give, so I think that's my DNA. Give really. more more people a voice, essentially. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so
0: trying to get us up to to the iVillage days, uh, I think um, I'll also include you were the president and publisher of Doubleday. Right. Um, lots of famous books, right. uh, best-selling books you, you you bring to market and things like that. right? Um, so like... like acknowledging that I'm jumping ahead, Mm -hmm. where are we in the early, mid-90s when, um, well, first of all, how did you know Candace Carpenter?
2: Well, it's the 90s. I'll I'll go back to that. Uh Um, By the 90s, um, I had started a magazine called Family Life, Mm -hmm. um, in large part because I had a child and looked around at the parenting magazines that were current then, and they were just incredibly... um, female-centric, um, white-centric, mm-hmm. stick-in-the-house-centric, and I thought there's got to be a better magazine than this to address mm-hmm. you know, parents raising kids that would include fathers, that would include different ethnicities, and that would talk about sports, of which I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started this magazine called Family Life, um, and I was talking to Time Inc., whom, whom I'd worked for at Book of the Month, about publishing it, and then I talked to Jan Wenner. So we began, um, we formed a partnership and started publishing that magazine, which in its first year was nominated for the National Magazine Award, which Mm -hmm. was pretty neat. And um, Candace at that point was working with Barry Diller, had just Mm -hmm. started working with him to start a QVC Mm -hmm. for what we called baby boomers, you know, people who wouldn't be caught dead buying on QVC. Mm -hmm. And she, unbeknownst to me, was using the visuals from Family Life Mm -hmm. to um, present her parenting show on um, Q2. Right. That is how we met. When Jan said, we need to have a meeting with these people (laughs) because they're using our artwork without our permission. Okay. (laughs) So really, that is how we met, was at a meeting at a very long conference table. uh, And Barry Diller was there. Jan was there. um, Lots of other men. Uh, And then uh, Candace and I were the two women. So that's interesting that you meet sort of in adversarial circumstances, but yet... Yet respect. I mean, she... She was using Family Life in her demo because she thought it was so beautiful, which mm. was a compliment, you mm-hmm. know, so we, mm-hmm. we worked it out. And then we actually worked together to do the parenting show on Q2. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. So you had worked together in some capacity previous to the iVillage project. Started. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So what is your recollection? Um, I, I know that it didn't start as iVillage, but what is your recollection of how the project that became iVillage Started Where, when did you first hear about it and that sort of thing?
2: Well, our company name was OSI Village. Okay, we started as I Village.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, no, how it started was that um, uh, Canis was doing consulting work for AOL, mm-hmm. and one has to remember that back in this is now like nineteen ninety four, that um, you know AOL isn't is known, mm-hmm. but it's not world known right. the way it was to come to be, mm-hmm. World Wide Web. That is like nowhere on the horizon with most of the, the mm-hmm. country. So um, as the AOL discs start coming out, mm-hmm. reference your, your, pod, your earlier <laughs> podcast with um, Jan Brandt, the AOL discs go out. I ignore them completely. You know, mm-hmm. they're coming in my house every day. Candace sends me, sends me one because she's doing consulting at AOL and mm-hmm. says, please, would you take a look at this? I stick it in my computer, which is also new, right? Mm-hmm. Us even having computers. And I look at this thing called AOL Mm -hmm. and I think, wow, this is the most primitive thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no sound. Right. There are no moving images. Right. I mean, it's almost, it's like a Bob Newhart sketch, Mm -hmm. you know? It was like, and the only thing that saved me in my perception of it was I just happened at that point to be reading a history Mm -hmm. of the beginning of television,
1: Mm.
2: which was really lucky because the history of television at the beginning, it was so... Primitive, of mm-hmm. course. It was black and white. There mm-hmm. was, you know, a talking head, not a moving head. They didn't even move the headset. There was just a talking head on the screen. So that made me realize, okay, this is just the beginning, mm-hmm. and it really is primitive. But here's the good news: it's got a long way to go, and we're, you know, I'm really good at, you know, producing and creating. I don't know if we want to use the word content. Mm-hmm. But I know how to you know, work with media.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I started getting kind of excited about it. After I got over being so frustrated by it, because I really didn't know. You click on something, I really didn't know where I was going, Right. didn't know how to get back. And you got to remember that AOL was the training wheels to get onto the web. And I couldn't even get the training wheels. You know, And I'm pretty smart. I'm Phi Beta Kappa. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out. So I figured if I can't figure it out, there's got to be a lot of people out there, whether they're male, female, right. whatever, who need more help
0: let me ask you what did you think of the content that you saw on aol was that also primitive in the sense that you know this would be rejected from any magazine in the world this is just garbage that they're throwing up
2: the content um was pretty primitive yes compared to um magazine or book publishing Mm -hmm. where you've got a you've got an army of Professional writers, mm-hmm. you've got professional editors, you've got copy editors, you've got proofreaders. Which reminds me, by the way, that when we did start our first website at I Village, I was actually going into the message boards to copy edit them. I mean, that is how you know. <laughs> I mean, I came out of traditional publishing. Right, I right. wanted this thing to be perfect, and right. you know, then one day I went, "Okay, this is life. This is the way it is." Right. I embraced the typos and the misspellings. Um, what was your question?
0: <laughs> how did how did you first hear about let's let's do this ourselves?
2: Um, oh, I know you were asking about how the content was on AOL. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I want to skip to what I what I did see and um, get excited about was their message boards mm. and their chat rooms. I mean, what what AOL was onto early was um, the web being a place where people could find other like minded people, mm-hmm. and that you could start you could have these Communities, you could have these support groups. That that was, that was kind of the secret
0: sauce. So your two insights are: is that this is very early days, so you know there's an opportunity here to do something well, right? And also that the real key, the killer app, is the people talking to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then who, then, who is the one that has the idea that hey, why don't we do this ourselves if we don't think it's there yet?
2: It's a combination. I think what happened was. At this point, there's Steve Case at AOL and Ted Leonsis, uh, Steve and Ted, and they had just gotten research in. And remember, at this point, even having metrics Mm -hmm. in the early days of the web was not so... I mean, I I used to hand count our traffic Mm -hmm. before we had any kind of reports, but AOL had just had a first report that showed that women were coming on in significant enough numbers onto AOL that... You know, it made their heads kick Mm. back. And they thought there's something, um, there's a market here that we need to encourage. And just to um, underline that, when I was doing the magazine Family Life, it was just at the point where Starwave, I don't know if you're going to Mm -hmm. do something about the Mm -hmm. Starwave guys, um, I had a meeting almost every week in my office with somebody wanting to put my magazine online Mm -hmm. because I was addressing parents. And AOL wasn't the only one saying that Mothers in big numbers, fathers too, but mothers in big numbers were coming online. Mm-hmm. So I was getting offers a lot to put my magazine online. That was during the shovelware period right. to give the, the newfangled web content. some credibility mm-hmm. and content mm-hmm. was to bring on traditional magazines. And, of course, I kept saying, I don't get it. You know, like Why would somebody want to read the magazine online when they can get in this beautiful package and anyway, where's the business model like where's the money in this mm-hmm. which no one really had a good answer for but in short creating programming for parents was the was the golden you know it was the holy grail right at that point mm-hmm. in 1995.
0: So initially isn't Candace starting to create some stuff like that for AOL um, maybe family women based channels on AOL. Is that right?
2: No, they were doing research, okay, consulting, but no, no content was created okay. till we founded iVillage, okay, and then we did the first parenting site. Then,
0: so again, who who do you feel like is the person that gets this together and says,
2: "Let's do this"? I think it's Ted, Steve, uh-huh. Candace. I mean, it's it's them coming together. And you, when when this idea does come
0: together, you know that you want to do it on the web. The web is, you feel like, is it reaching that critical mass now where you see that's the way to go? That's
2: where we plan our flight? It wasn't critical mass. I mean, when you think back to the numbers, mm-hmm. they were so little mm-hmm. back in 94, 95. There um, could be 10 million
0: total people in the world
2: on the, on the web. web. Right. Right. And um, and a lot of people, if you pointed out a www dot, mm-hmm. you know, on a billboard somewhere, they would go, you know, what's that? Sure. It was still rare to even see www dot, you know, mm. on a, on a billboard. Um, so no, I don't. I don't think we thought it was um, a no brainer. I think it was that if anything was taking off, it was AOL. Mm. AOL is just critical to the story of the web exploding. Mm. So if there was beginning to be maybe not a mass audience, but the beginning of a consumer audience, it was on AOL. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was the, the engine that made it um, interesting. The other thing that made it interesting was that there was no um, what I would call quality programming yet, mm-hmm. and how neat to see if we could invent it. Mm-hmm. I mean, with seriously, you know, beautiful graphics and mm-hmm. fabulous writing, and and um, you know, create a place that was visually and um, emotionally and intellectually beautiful.
0: So I know that this might be hard to, to nail down exact dates, but when, just for the context, when are we starting iVillage as a project? Is it late '94, early '95-ish? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, um, and. Because I'm super curious about this if you your memory of okay what's the first thing we're going to put out there I believe it's parent soup is what happens yes but mm. what are you envisioning putting out there when you first are, are doing the project
2: for parent soup or for mm. iVillage? village
0: for for whatever the first of, of, of this project is okay is it is it taking a magazine and putting it online because I get the sense I, I don't want to lead you with the question but <laughs> I get the sense that Again, you had to rediscover that community was where it was at, so do you launch with magazine style content first and then realize, oh, everybody's running to the message boards?
2: yeah, this is what mm-hmm. um because um, I wanted to yes, <laughs> so now we're we're um we start down uh we start down in a room in this mm-hmm. house we we're plugging in computers with all these you know none of us know what we're doing, mm-hmm. sparks are flying out, yeah, and we start creating content. Mm -hmm. We start writing literally thousands um, of articles. Um, When it goes up on AOL, which would then be the February of, is this right, February of 1995? Anyway, all I know is when we begin to launch Parent Soup, I'm calling the guys down in Vienna, Virginia going, do you have us up yet? Do you have us up yet? Mm -hmm. And they went, what are you kidding me? First of all, there's a blizzard, so none of them are at work. And I keep going, don't you guys have four-wheel drive? You know, <laughs> like, we got to get up today. Um, finally, some guys get to the office. And they had never seen this much content in the history of AOL. Mm. I mean, we were putting up a website ten times larger than anything they had ever seen. Why? Because I want to knock the socks off the world.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I want it to be the best website anyone's ever seen. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I mean, have I forgotten about the community? Well, at the point that when you open up the doors mm-hmm. to your store, right, right, you've got merchandise there. That's what's going to bring them in. Mm-hmm. And in our case, the merchandise is the way we look on the page, the way we feel, you know, what our headlines say, um, how much depth we got, the voice. I, you know, I made the voice very different than a magazine voice. It mm-hmm. was much; it's shorter sentences, like you would on TV or probably on your podcast. Mm-hmm. You know we we modified it for the web, but the content was the only thing we had to bring them in and then you're quite right once they came in <laughs> once they came in, yeah, they read the content, but the content was the friggin appetizer uh-huh. they they would nibble at that and go that's good, you know and they and they they kind of got a feeling of trust, right' Because this mm-hmm. content was not crazy, you know we had vetted it, mm-hmm. we had it in you know. The, In health, food, you know, toddlers, babies, pregnancy, you name it. But then they congregated at the message boards. They began talking to each other. They began saying, oh, my, I I remember this one mother going, I am just so thrilled to be talking to someone today who can talk in complete sentences. You know, she was just so frigging relieved. Not to be, she loves her kids, but, you know, enough already. And they were so funny and so cool. And then I spent the rest of my time listening to those message boards. I mean, it was the heartbeat of everything. But
0: you think you think that it's important to note that you might, without the credibility of the content at the beginning, it might not have lent credibility enough to the site for the the community to take off. Absolutely. Okay.
2: I mean, they were like proud of it, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, they being the people who came to to Parent Soup, was um, they just they felt it was. A safe place, which was important back then. The, the web was really kind of scary. And even on AOL, you could go into a message board and, you know, there'd be one message saying, hi, is anyone there? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe then two hours later, someone would put a post up going, I'm here. Well, we didn't want there to be that much of a lonely experience. Mm-hmm. So to really um, be a good host... Meant you put you know, you overserved, you put mm-hmm. out more hors d'oeuvres probably than they could eat. Right. But I think it was essential. It was essential both to the audience and frankly it was essential to the business model because we had brought in the first we really did. iVillage brought in the first blue chip sponsorships, mm-hmm. you know, of companies that never would have set foot on the web. Well, but, but we th- gave them a comfort level by the quality of what we were putting up that they were um, making deals with us to be there
0: before we we get into the the business angle of it uh-huh. um, I, I want to s- still talk about the content a little bit more because um, Robert Leviton told me that you had three tent poles I think uh, family health and career right is that is that sort of that that's the guiding mission in terms of the content and the areas that you're going into
2: no not that at that point we really were just doing um, parenting Okay. Um, And that was it. Mm. And it wasn't till, uh, first of all, to put up. I keep saying to everyone, um, you know, putting up a website may seem easy, but to maintain a website, to you know, feed and um, bathe and Mm -hmm. keep it breathing, that you know, that's the real trick is the maintenance. So doing parent soup alone was already a huge project that Mm -hmm. was taking you know a lot of staff. so to go into other verticals at that point really wasn't in the cards financially mm-hmm. or or <laughs> mentally in terms of what we could do. What we did see, of course, is that when people talk about their kids and raising their kids and all the issues that come up, you know, they of course then talk about their work, mm-hmm. like how the heck am I gonna keep my job mm-hmm. while I'm raising this kid or, you know, should I start to work from home? Um um, you know, how do I get dinner on the table? So they start talking about food. Mm-hmm. You know, where's my husband and all this? Why isn't he helping out? So they talk about relationships. So we knew there were all kinds of um, vertical subjects that we could start addressing when we got the bandwidth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So then um, listening to that kind of heartbeat from the message boards, uh, we did start designing where we could go next. And that's when we started thinking about... Um, um, Expanding from Parent Soup to a larger network, which originally, by the way, we called Life Soup, mm. going off the branding of Parent Soup. Um, and then we called it, we took our company name iVillage and called it iVillage.com, the women's network. Um, just real quickly, because I, being
0: from that era, hear that and I think Talk Soup, is that by any chance where the inspiration?
2: Well, well I mean, <laughs> Uh, we had something called chat. Yes, uh, probably. Right. Probably. <laughs> probably. Right. <Yeah.
0: laughs> um, so when, when iVillage, when it morphs into iVillage, um, is the idea then to create a tentpole like structure where there's different verticals underneath it? Yes. And yes. It, it, was that always successful or did, did you have to evolve that over the t- over time as well?
2: That was pretty much successful from the get-go. Okay. Probably because Parent Soup had become the number one parenting site online. We had become pretty huge, so that when we um, then added on, you know, what, what to what Robert was saying, we mm-hmm. added on health, and we added on work. As we started adding these other um, channels, uh, we pretty much um, were bringing people in mm-hmm. from from the very opening of that. The other thing we learned, by the way, which also helped us in um, expanding, was um, back to the what you said about community ruling over the content.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Was um, we we understood rather than doing what we've done with Parent Soup and having put so much work into to it, making it so perfect, was instead of having it all done and then you invite the the guests in, we had it just a little bit done. And let them come in and they showed the pass, you know, Mm -hmm. where to make the sidewalks rather than us making the sidewalks before they arrived. Mm -hmm. So that was really important. So we put less up than we did in the first website. Can I? That's interesting
0: to me because coming from a publishing background, you know, one of the things that people are always critical of old media doesn't get it because they're used to telling the audience this is what's important. Was that a difficult transition for you coming from? Publishing,
2: yeah, not as hard as it was for some of my um, compatriots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, partly because, um, yes, publishing is top down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're the experts, you're the editors, you know, in the offices who are assigning things out. Mm-hmm. You're the one coming up with the story ideas. This is the, this the web is the complete opposite. You listen to the message boards to hear what they're saying. And that's what you pull up to headline as a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that kept coming up was, you know, parents of teenagers were the most crazed. Well, there's parents of babies. They have a pretty rough life. But mm-hmm. the parents of teenagers were out of their minds because teenagers, you know, they had these nice kids. And then one day right. the parents wake up and they go, who is this child? Mm-hmm. You know, they won't talk to me. They won't wash dishes. They won't help. I hate them. So these parents joined together to see if, if they did not... Nag their children for one week, was there a possibility that their teenager might behave better? Right? Mm-hmm. They did that by themselves, these parents on the Teen on the Parents of Teenager message board. And I watched these, I mean, I was watching this. I felt, I mean, how could you not love that these parents joined together to do this? And you know what? It kind of worked. Mm-hmm. You know, their kids could kind have of behaved better. Uh, We went on the Today Show with these mothers to go, holy smokes. You know, when parents come together, they can come up with some solutions. So the answer to your question is, I fell in love with the women. They are so cool. And the way they came up with solutions to their problems, and they're so funny. They're so funny. That um, it was really easy given my background already, was to break the barriers down, to mm-hmm. let everyone in, mm-hmm. let them tell their stories. Um, I, I went right right down the rabbit hole with them mm-hmm. um, to really show how smart they are. And you know, you know, another thing, we, we took it out to print because the print world was still doing what the print world was doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but we brought it out by the New York Times Magazine did a whole issue on um, kind of the, the state of women. Mm-hmm. And on every page of that issue... There was a quote from an I Village woman. I mean, we started showing these women, who in the beginning of the web, you know, most people thought the women online must be weirdos. Really, I mean, particularly when we went out to advertisers, they just said, you know, they must be living in I don't know some hovel somewhere. And we took, we I went out there and we took pictures. Of the women using iVillage village mm-hmm. to convince people these were real women <laughs> they were they were head of their PTAs they were normal neat women I mean it was that primitive uh, early on you know
0: so we're talking about how you have to learn new things coming from publishing into this into this new medium <clears throat> um, but also there's a conflict in the sense that you're you're operating in a in a tech world. But I think I I saw on your Charlie Rose interview, which by the way was sixteen years ago yesterday, <laughs> coincidentally. But, Whoa! Uh, yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. um, that you said that from day one you knew that it was a media company, not a tech company.
1: Oh
2: yeah. So there's conflict and, there. Well, that's really important because. Okay, do I know anything about tech? I mean, you and I were just setting up your computer and doing that. You know, at least I can do I can mm. do that. But um. I mean, once Candace and I were sitting on the server, you know, and the tech guys came running over and said, you know, the whole company's there and you're about to blow it up. We're going, really? (laughs) You know, so we didn't know exactly what we were doing, but but that was a true, true advantage because I was going, you bet, I know nothing about tech, but neither does the million of women out there. Mm -hmm. And so we went at it like, what makes sense to us? Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of navigation makes sense to us? sometimes the tech guys would come in with you know what I would call whizzy bang, just something really cool they'd invented. Mm-hmm. You know, and smoke's coming out. And I go, this is really cool, but what does it do? Like, what does it do that would help a woman get something done mm-hmm. in her day? Mm-hmm. And they would go, mm, don't know yet. Mm-hmm. So I go, okay, go back and, you know, into the lab mm-hmm. and see what you can cook up that would be good. So we, we kind of were representative mm-hmm. of the consumer out there. Mm-hmm. But
0: did that cause you problems in terms of raising raising money for the project because you have to go to VCs who are used to funding tech and software based companies and you're saying no this is some weird hybrid this is not tech it's more media but it's not traditional media it's so was was that uh, did that make things difficult being sort of in between
2: huh i don't remember them going wait a minute, you don't know anything about tech, how are you going to do this? Mm -hmm. What I remember most is women, Mm -hmm. uh, no one thought women were going to get computers, let alone go online. That was the issue. Because you've got to remember that in 1995, when we're going out to venture capitalists, Mm -hmm. we get $2 million from AOL. Mm -hmm. Now we're on airplanes going out to these VCs. Mm -hmm. Um... There's, depending upon the statistics, it's either less than 13%, less than 19% of the people online are women. There are very few women online. So when we go to Kleiner Perkins, for instance, Mm -hmm. any of those VCs, they're going, hey, my wife doesn't even own a computer, Mm. let alone is online. Why would women ever want to do this? And we said, exactly.
1: Mm. That
2: is where we come in. Mm. We have been in the market of, creating stuff for women, you know, between us for decades. And what we want to do is to create the reason why women would come onto the web. And that was our proposition. And we said, watch this. Once we get started, this will be one of the greatest appliances women have ever found to help them get stuff done in their lives. And watch this. One day, there will be more women online than men. And they looked at us like we were frigging crazy. Until, by the way, John Doerr got it handed to him, who's Mm -hmm. also been in the news lately. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Doerr got on the phone, called Will Hurston, called in a few other partners, because he said, these women won't leave my office. Mm. Um, And they invested in us early. And, you know, once we kind of had their imprimatur, uh, more venture capitalists thought, well, there must be something here.
0: Well, then let's do get to the business side, too, then, because it surely helped that you guys, from the from the get go, we're getting major Fortune 500 brands to sponsor you. Yeah. Um, And and so then maybe that's where your background from publishing and media helped in that. regard.
2: Absolutely. That Mm -hmm. helped a lot um, because we we had been out, um, you know, meeting and and selling to these um, Fortune 500 companies. The other thing we knew was how important in magazine publishing you go out with what's called a prototype, you know, of what your mm-hmm. magazine's going to be, you mm-hmm. know, before it's been on the newsstands. So we created a really robust um, prototype of Parent Soup, mm-hmm. you know, on a computer, and we brought it out on our sales calls so you could really show this is real, you yeah. know, this isn't some you know smoke and mirrors thing. So it was very important to show realness. Because remember, they're used to, they, the sponsors, going on a television show, going on a print magazine, and this thing called the web just seemed ephemeral Mm -hmm. to them. You know, what is it? Where is it? Mm -hmm. So it was very important that we did so much um, legwork early on.
0: And I I ask everybody this from this era because it's it's fascinating (laughs) coming from, from 2015, but what sort of analytics and data are you able to give to... Uh, your sponsors and things like that, because there's not the analytics that we know today. So what are you able to show them?
2: Okay, can I tell you one thing? Sure. Okay, so we're in our little New York office. I called down to Vienna, Virginia, AOL, Mm -hmm. and I go, hey, can you guys send us your boilerplate contract for advertisers? Mm -hmm. Maybe I was talking to the wrong person, but they said we don't have one. I said, you must have some kind of contract. Mm No. No. I mean, it was so, things were so early on the advertising front. I mean, sometimes you didn't know who was paying who, you know, who was the buyer, who was mm-hmm. the seller. So our, yes, you're quite right. On the first um, charter sponsors we had, which is selling companies in before you've gone live, mm-hmm. um, we were selling them in to the promise of, they were, they were investing in us almost as much as the venture capitalists. And they were, you know, putting up relatively... Big money for that time. I mean, really big money for that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was based, like VCs, I would say, it was based on us, who we were, you know, because we worked, all of us had worked a really long time and new media. And it was based on um, the fact that AOL was our platform. We went onto the web after we first went on AOL. Mm-hmm. And for many years, mm-hmm. we programming both to AOL mm-hmm. and to the web. So we did have metrics from AOL, okay. right? We had some traffic numbers, and we really knew we could guesstimate what our traffic would be on AOL. So we were able to give you know, some numbers, and we were able to give, like you do in a magazine, some guarantees. Mm-hmm. So and you- we also said to them, we are going to get a lot of publicity and a lot of um, visibility, in part because this is the first big women's plague, and you will be part of that. You sponsor, so we will also help raise your profile. Let's talk about
0: competition at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's competition on one level in the sense that at some point, 96, 97, 98, <coughs> the idea of building community sites is not such a crazy idea. It becomes one of the fads of the era almost. Mm-hmm. So you're there's other sites out there like GeoCities, The Globe, and things like that that are trying to do similar community things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, what about competitors like women.com? dot um, Oprah gets involved at some point. Mm-hmm. when It launches the Oxygen Network and things like mm-hmm. that. So, what was the sense of competitiveness to make iVillage be the premier destination for for this audience?
2: Well, we are completely competitive. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, so we were competitive, um, and I think um, why we why we were bigger, better, and why we were number one. Is, well in the case of um, Oprah and oxygen um, to your earlier point they came from traditional media mm. and they didn't they didn't kind of stay you got to hang out with the web to really know how it works and they didn't give it time to really know how it works so mm. their programming was still the old you know old traditional media top-down so I think that was their issue um, with women.com I, I think where we won over them, And actually, that was in the, you can see it in the the numbers. Our community was just that much stronger. And when I talk about our community being stronger, its numbers were just exponentially larger than theirs. And it's in large part because we didn't just put message boards up and say, you know, here's a topic, you know, go talk among yourselves. We developed um, from the people who were on the message boards, the most um, present people on the message boards, the most helpful. We created a cadre of the most spectacular women who became community leaders, mm. those community leaders were trained. They became the, you know, the head of the message board. If someone came in new, like mm-hmm. a newbie, like someone coming into a cocktail party, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know anyone there. This community leader would say, you know, hi, Mary. Uh, c- you know, can I help you? And it could be, yeah, you know, I I, I need to find out information. Um, I just found I had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And this person would lead them both to the content, because mm-hmm. content still matters, to get, mm-hmm. you know, real solid medical advice. But here's also a, a support group over here who's meeting every Wednesday night. You might want to, you know, sit in on that next week and see if that might work for you. You know, it's easy. So it- that community leader part, it's uh, like to the casual observer, they wouldn't even know that existed. Right. And to a casual media observer, they wouldn't know it existed. Right but to somebody who knows the web that was where everything was happening. Well, but also
0: it's so easy to overlook now how much of what is going on in this era is educating people. This is what the web can do. This is how you do it. This is how you behave. Like a, a lot of these community sites are training Americans people worldwide on this is how you have an online life.
2: Yes. And how you, I love that when you said how you behave because AOL certainly you know the grandfather of it had what they called toss there were these rules, you know, and if you behave badly, you got kicked out of class. Terms of service. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So th- that was a good beginning. But we thought, okay, that's that's like the behavioral issue. Um, we want to be, we now want to get a little more sophisticated uh, about it. And we have a community leader guidebook. It's, you know, like a, like a three-inch binder, um, which came out of the community leaders giving their tips for how to, you know, if there's a ruckus, you know, if two, mm-hmm. if two people are really at diametrically um, opposite points of view, like on immunizations for instance, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. political back then, sure. how can you have a civil conversation? Mm-hmm. So a lot of this um, uh, I love the way you said it, you know, learning how to behave because mm-hmm. it's a whole new way yeah, of behaving. hmm Do you want
0: to talk about the doorbell? So remember at the beginning of this episode when I mentioned that this was a star-crossed interview session? Nancy was kind enough to host me in her home in Manhattan, and it was at this point that we got a visit at the front door from the New York City Fire Department. Apparently there was an electrical fire out in the street outside, and they needed to check the basement to make sure that the fire was not spreading to the houses from the street. So that's a new one. Haven't had an interview interrupted by a fire alarm before. But we continued after a short
2: time. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home, isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only fourteen ninety-five. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping
0: murder mystery. All right, so we were we were talking about the other training people to behave on the on the web. Mm. Um, where I wanted to go was I wanted to talk a little bit about you guys. Um, so you and Candace are essentially co-founders in almost the classical sense. But mm. like Candace takes the the CEO title so she's sort of running the business end and you're running the content and editorial end. Um what was that like to work as you know a, a co founding team? Well, That's we a...
2: when we um, it was actually my husband <laughs> who said, you know, the two of you really ought to do something together. Mm-hmm. So, just so you know, mm-hmm. we, my husband was the one who said. Mm-hmm. So we were actually thinking of things we could do together, the two of us, um, in part because we were usually we, we usually were the only two women in a room, um, you know, at various meetings that we wound up attending. Um. so when it came time to like you know who does what our joke was always that we almost could do we could almost overlap each other you know 80% so we um, um we just had to you know conquer divide and conquer um, and content for me or creating the programming since I was coming from you know having developed family life um, I was in that zone, you know, of doing parenting. Although Candice would be here, we had a huge, like six foot roll of paper that mm-hmm. we rolled mm-hmm. from that end of the room down here, mm-hmm. and that's we drew mm-hmm. parent soup on it. And Candice was certainly here, um, you know, as we did that part of it, and I was certainly flying um, on planes to talk to sponsors. So we overlap, but we but we said at the end of the day one's got to get the you know create the sites and be with the women, and the other's got to go out with the the business mm-hmm. yeah uh,
0: but it was it was generally a successful dividing up of of duties yeah. a, a successful partnership in general yeah mm-hmm. um let's get into the the crazy times you know uh the i p o um the the point when you know ivillage really was you know one of the big names if we think of the dot com era as 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 an era um when what are your what are your recollections when you look back now almost 20 years later on that period when all of a sudden you've created this successful website this community has grown you're you're servicing um this community but now it's becoming something else. Now it's becoming a multi-billion dollar company. Now you have hundreds of employees and things like that. Um, what was
2: that ride like? Well, you gotta remember, I mean, I'm I'm old. So I mean, as Age said, you know, um, they described Candace and I as, you know, media vets, mm. you know, enter the web. So I'd already worked at and so had Candace. Um, I'd already worked at big companies, I'd already had lots of people reporting to me um had to report to wall street so that part of it um wasn't so new i thought the kind of the surrounding hoopla and the multiples and the you know, mm-hmm. the, the valuations they struck me as crazy mm. um and i i um i was quietly um, pessimistic and maybe even a little angry at the at the, um, I guess the greed, the greediness of the, mm. um, of investors. Um, they were the ones who were really driving those valuations and also driving the IPO dates. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more of a, um, you know, stick, stick to your, to your knitting and do business the old fashioned way. So yeah, if I could have done it my way, we wouldn't have IPO'd mm-hmm. because IPO brings in all kinds of, um, as everyone knows, um, uh, Considerations which don't have to do with growing a good business—they have everything to do with making money for investors.
0: Lots of pressures that are external to actually yeah. running yeah. the company. And I kind
2: of like running businesses and mm-hmm. growing them, and rather than.
0: Well, I'll ask you because I've asked part of it. several people this from that era. Was was it that there was a time when it's not just everybody's going public, so why don't we? But mm-hmm. you have to like the pressure becomes overwhelming that. You have to join this club.
2: Um, personally, I I, pro- I could have resisted, but our um, it di- it didn't come from the the uh, the number of IPOs happening in our um, kind of graduating class at that point. It was watch well, I will take you back when we were first raising money, and because we called ourselves a media company, as you said, that we were in. The business of creating media, not the in, mm-hmm. not in the tech business.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A number of our investors or potential investors said, "Well, then, will we get a return on our, our investment within a year?" I said, "Within a year." I said, "The metric in traditional publishing is five to six years, which it's right. it still is." Right. So we were, I mean, for me, I was hearing crazy turnaround on when you would make, um, make a profit. And eventually the um, investors, they're the one who were revved up by what they were seeing um, happening. And they were the ones who wanted us to go, to go public. Mm-hmm. We had the numbers to go public, by the way. I mean, in, in that way, our numbers were fantastic. I mean, we were in the top. In terms of brand recognition, we were off the charts. Um, we were always in the top fifteen or top twenty web largest websites on the planet. At that and point. I, I
0: believe at, at the point of going public, you're you're doing ten million, more than ten million in revenue a quarter. So this is obviously ramping up to to, to get to God, some I decent. We
2: were more than that by that point. No, Possibly. Yeah. I will double check. We were, I think we were more than that.
0: Um, but also. You know, adding to the hoopla is that you're one of those stocks that had one of those insane run-ups. Yeah. yeah. And at one point, you know, is above a hundred and thirty dollars a share. Yeah. I think your first day pop was one of those huge first day pops yeah, and things we like that. We were the
2: sixth largest IPO in the history of the world when we went. So <laughs> un- it's it's and I was depressed that day. I just need, I need to put that down on the record. And everyone at iVillage I think knew that. We're supposed to be all excited. Um there is a picture of me the day after we IPO on the front page of the business section of the New York Times with me holding a, um, a cigar. Meanwhile, at that party, I was like in the corner, just so, so sad because I was happy for all these people who had worked with us. I mean, we had the greatest group of people as my daughter, who's, now 27, I was just a kid back then. She went, Mommy, these are some of the greatest people ever. They're so smart, they're so nice, and they are. And that night, many of them were making the kind of money they could pay back their student loans. You know, a, a single mom who worked with me, she was then able to buy a house. I mean, it was it was a wonderful night for a lot of them. I, because I'm older and have been around, I am so sad because I know being public, it, we're not our own ship anymore, so I am sad. PR person comes over to me and says, Nancy, New York Times photographer is here and he wants to take a picture of you. You've got to come over here and you also have to put a smile on your face. Mm. Leads me over, sits me down. Um, the rest of the gang does have um, cigars. They go, Nancy, you would hold up the cigar. Anyway, and there's the picture. Um, and I'm surrounded by all my Our village friends and the picture, they silhouette me out and there I am looking like I'm the... You know, the smug monopoly guy, um, which is just the opposite mm-hmm. of what I was. You know, I,
0: I'm, I'm, this is almost a parenthetical, but I'm wondering if it, it was a New York thing, because the, I had to talk when I, I, I spoke to the, um, the DoubleClick guys, and I spoke to um, Craig Kanarik, who was at, um, uh, the name is escaping me right now, but I'll, I'll edit in <laughs> the correct name. Um, I feel like New York-based companies got all of this media crap and especially maybe you guys because you came from publishing which this town there's a lot of people in publishing and so here you are on the new york new york times smoking a cigar and look she's this fat cat runs over to the internet and you know mm-hmm. it's making more money than we'll ever see was there some sort of like local resentment in new york to to the, the these sudden new internet companies
2: Oh, I don't blame i mean <laughs> I don't blame yeah that's it whatever I look like mm-hmm. on the cover of the new york times i wouldn't you know I would be resentful of that person mm-hmm. um uh too yeah i think I think um there was tremendous um yeah resentment um both uh, partly because we're women I, I think I need to keep saying that mm-hmm. because um. That was um, that was part of it, and part of it, as you say, yes, is that we is that we came out of New York. I would say the other part of it is, is that when I went to uh, went downtown, literally in New York, you go downtown to begin a, you know, a web play. Uh, the people I knew from traditional publishing who were still eating lunch at this place called Michael's, mm-hmm. you know, which is a restaurant where all the bold boldface media meet, and I went there for lunch one day and was telling some. Media, traditional media people. I was going to go down and do this thing called I Village, and they went, Nancy, you know that's really. Do you really want to do that? You know that that's just it, it'll never happen. And they um they really thought I was making a bad move. So given that they were such serious naysayers, they being really all mm-hmm. pretty much all traditional publishing. To be such naysayers and then see someone like me mm-hmm. you know, smoking a cigar, mm-hmm. they were like, you got to be kidding. They're, most of those people now, besides the fact that if they had a magazine, it's now
1: mm-hmm.
2: gone, mm-hmm. or they are now all on the web. Right. And there's not any of them who aren't on the web. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a combination of, you know, initially they want to they burst your bubble and bring you back down to size. Yeah. But then later on it's jealousy. And because... then later
2: on they're they're all <laughs> right, in it. This right. thing that they all just missed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, um, let's we we have to talk and about And I need to say, can yes. I just add sure. here please
2: that there is Amazon beginning to take off. And mm-hmm. since I did come out of one of my strains of my life was on um, book publishing, um, I did say to the Regio's at Barnes and Noble, you know, I said, There's this big thing happening on the web. I mean, they thought I was Anyone I would talk to back then thought I was crazy, um, and you can sell books there. And actually, I started a book channel at iVillage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love books so much. We were mm-hmm. we were doing books, and and they they just looked at me like, nah, you know, whatever that is. We're not we're not interested. And particularly, see that's why I do love the best of business is when um, you know you're doing well at your core business, but you can but you've always got if not you you got people around you who are always looking around the next corner. You know, we had guys. There was this one guy at our village named Michael Rose, and he would write me emails at three in the morning, going, "Evans, listen, there's this thing happening out there. Mm-hmm. We gotta, we gotta check it out." Like we started member websites, which is really, you know, the early, mm-hmm. um, the early uh, roots of um, blogs. We began that like in two thousand one, and it's because you know. Someone within our company was always looking. What's the next thing? Because
1: mm-hmm.
2: you got to keep growing, or, or there's Barnes and Noble, whether brick and mortar and right. things aren't as good as they could have been.
0: Well, we have to we have to talk about when when the bubble does burst. <laughs> um, and I ask everyone too, uh, from this time period, do did you have a sense? Do you remember there was a day or a month or a quarter? When all of a sudden you start to see, hmm, things seem to be drying up a little bit. No. No?
2: i got to say to you, the bubble bursting to me was the market correcting itself. Mm -hmm. How could I at iVillage, I I went to the women's um, symposium at General GE, right, Mm -hmm. to to, um, speak to the women there. I get up on the stage, and there's Jack Welch, who at that point is head of GE. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Our valuation at iVillage was larger than GE. Mm -hmm. That is wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is not right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is not right. So for me, the bubble was the correction I'd been waiting for. To me, it was no... I mean, I am quite serious about this. Mm -hmm. To me, it was no surprise. Because all along I've been going, this is insane. And now remember, while I'm going, this is insane about the business, where I'm really focused still is on this huge movement that is still happening about women coming online. Mm -hmm. So that by the year, first quarter of 2001, there are, for the first time in history, Mm -hmm. there are more women on the web than men. Mm -hmm. 2001, first quarter. So that's where I'm living. I'm mm-hmm. living actually with something that is still growing and growing. And to me, the bubble was the bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: you mm-hmm. know, and you stay, you stay through it because I think you stay... I at, do stay through uh, it. Until 2003 is when you finally leave Ivy Village? 2004. Okay. Yeah. So you're able to, you know, obviously I can't wait to get to this part of the chronology, but it's not a nuclear winter for everybody because people don't stop using the web so you're able to see that, from your point of view, people are still interacting. They're still, and it's it's evolving into new things. Well,
2: and also because I don't think um, that that whole bubble was driven by greed of market. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you got to separate what the market was saying versus what the users and the people were doing. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, that's like even our economics today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you take what the markets doing versus what real people on the street are doing. They're two different stories. So as I say, I was I was really connected to the story of the web, not the, mm-hmm. not, the not the the money. stock price. Right, yeah. And actually I used to scream at people who were spending half their day looking at the stock price.
0: Do you ever we should say, for, for context, that um, I think it's in 2006, iVillage is purchased by NBC Universal, Right. So it continues to be a strong brand today. Um, do, do you felt like well, it, it got a good home?
2: Um, NBC had been an early, um, well, I would say third-round kind of investor um, in us. So they were a good partner uh, with us on for television. Um, I was... Pretty regularly going on um, the NBC Evening News because we got very involved in um, the 2000 presidential election and we began polling um, so that we were be- we were able to represent the issues that women care about and we also invited all the presidential candidates onto iVillage and asked them questions that we we would get seven thousand questions per mm. interview with one of the presidential candidates. It was just wonderful. Um, so we were becoming an influencer in that, and we also started working with Dateline, which was an NBC program that was in the news. That was terrific. When NBC NBCUniversal um, outright bought iVillage, um, they did the old top-down. Mm. I mean, it's just classic. Instead of, as we said earlier, kind of the, the real... Um, secret sauce of iVillage was the women and all of the activity that was going on in the chat rooms, the message boards, the support groups. I mean, these women were meeting offline. Mm-hmm. These women were on their own dime mm-hmm. having little conventions all over the country. I mean, that is how meaningful the relationships were. I think what NBC Universal saw was women's website, women's programming, and they pretty soon put on a television show called iVillage, mm-hmm. which was on NBC, and it was the exact opposite of what iVillage was. I village was about real women, which means, you know, your hair's not perfect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which means, I mean, the number one search term in iVillage was under eye circles. You know, like, these women were deprived of sleep um, because they're doing all the things women have to do. Well, the women on the show were, like, young and perky and, you know, perfect blonde hair. And... They were fake. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're real in the real lives, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. on this TV show, they were pretty darn fake. Mm-hmm. So it was completely anti-brand. Um, so within short order, you could see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I because I, I still was in contact with a lot of the the iVillage women who used the site. You know, they went. This is this isn't this isn't it anymore. It wasn't an authentic, mm-hmm. um, and they they did not get that it was the women stupid,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: and not the programming from mm-hmm. you know Rockefeller Center. Mm-hmm. So I think, unfortunately, they blew it. Well, it might make you feel good
0: to know that when I told my wife I was doing this interview, she said, oh, iVillage got me through my pregnancy. So there must still be good content out there.
2: (laughs) That's it. iVillage got me through my pregnancy. iVillage got me through my breast cancer. iVillage got me through my divorce. Mm -hmm. It was the ultimate, um, you know, it wasn't iVillage. That's why we called it Village. Mm -hmm. It was all those women together, Mm -hmm. you know, who helped each other. It was was brilliant. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about uh, women in tech, which you and I have, have discussed a little bit over email, but I would have brought this up anyway because, for example, um, the, the New Yorker article about you guys, okay. there's several other articles I read where I, I sort of had this sense that the more things change, the more it's the same. And there's these just catty details in so many articles about Candace as a boss, or about you as a boss. You know, there's some quote about someone working under you saying, oh, she'll freeze you out and you, you don't know why. And I'm I'm just wondering, I, w- I want you to say whatever you want to say about this topic. But first of all, do you feel that w- women in business continue to just be misunderstood or some of the attention that you guys got maybe was negative because you were women?
2: Yeah, <laughs> the answer would be big yes. Um I mean, I pointed out at a um, a Fortune magazine women's summit, um, we would looked at every one of their um, magazine covers, and I can't give you the exact year, but let's just put it this way. There would only been two go- covers with women on them, and one was a cover story on wives of CEOs. Mm. Um, and that... And I also did a little survey, you know, largely anecdotal, but we went through a lot of issues, to show that when businessmen are written about, it just seems they fail to mention, oh, he's got a balding mm. head, he's got a paunch, you know, he's got socks that are too short. I mean, you, you don't hear these particulars about his physique or his... Um, sartorial splendor or lack thereof whereas a woman cannot be described in a business article without having mention of her hair color of her you know pantsuit her shoe. it will always be mentioned and there's not a woman executive who who won't tell you that that's the case now until they start talking about men what men are wearing what their suits are and the fact that they you know they've got something hanging over their belt um, there's something wrong with that, and that, that needs to be changed. And yes, I, I do think um, we're not treated the same. Well, even the press. Like, uh, the, you know, that is why I got to say television is infinitely better than the press. Mm-hmm. We were treated well um, on Charlie Rose, on The Today Show, um, 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. Leslie Stahl. You know, we flew in community leaders from all over the country. So, Leslie Stahl could interview them for, for 60 minutes mm-hmm. and kind of show the country, mm-hmm. you know, here are the kind of people who are using the web. TV did really well by us, but the print, and remember, we're back in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't really like well, it.
0: focusing on things like, the the, the, <coughs> the words they would use is there was a re- revolving door of executives and consultants, and but that's any company that's like that. So why is it, why was that what they focused on with you guys? And...
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> I think they focus on it with, a, they can focus on that with other companies um, as well. Um, I think they, they really like the storyline of the mercurial Candace. And I think what Candace would say is when you're, when you're growing a business at close to the speed of light, the kinds of, for instance, due diligence you would do on acquisitions,
1: you know, if you did it
2: textbook, B school way, it wasn't allowable in the time you had to either go with an acquisition or not go with it because things were going that fast mm-hmm. you know in in the web in the early web days you had to get to that deal or you would lose it and people were making those kind of you know acquisition deals when the the, um, the primary metric was you know reach your size so there was a lot of activity going on um then and so you did move fast and you can make wrong moves. And that means you made a wrong move. You need to let that person go. I mean, that that, that is true. And with a startup, you just can't keep baggage behind you. You got to get on to the next thing. Right. I mean, I, I got to say, I um, I did fire someone after 17 days, which I remember to this day because it was oh, yeah. 17 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because she she... Was leading one of our major sites, and um, she said one day, You know, I don't know why, um, you know, if a mother needs to get an answer on something like this, she doesn't go to her local playground. And I said, This is her playground. Mm-hmm. This is where she's going to talk to other mothers. Mm-hmm. And a few more days like that, and she, you know, I realized she just didn't really get it. She didn't believe in it. Um, and I said, You know, I think we need to part ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can get on with your life, and we can continue on ours.
0: Well, I hope I hope the audience will forgive me by I hope I'm not putting too much of my own personal opinions into this, but I'm thinking of I remember how the press treated Carly Fiorina uh, when she was head of HP, and I'm thinking specifically of like the way the fascination with Marissa Meyer now. I almost feel like the the business press, especially, feels like a, a woman CEO, a woman in charge of a of a tech company, maybe specifically. Is, wow isn't this such an interesting experiment we'll see how long this will go you know what I mean like the skepticism with which people treat everything that Marissa Meyer is doing seems to me well I mean me... she
2: was just in the Times today reporting her earnings which mm-hmm. still you know she is still in the beginnings of a turnaround right. not a turnaround and notice they will always have a picture of her mm-hmm. because she's attractive mm-hmm. and she's blonde
1: mm-hmm.
2: I think that that adds to it I mean when you look at the Business press they got you know guys and so it kind of makes the page sparkle when they put in a girl
1: mm-hmm. hmm.
0: one one last question in this area um, uh, I believe your your daughter is maybe entrepreneurial and, and, and
1: <laughs> exploring
0: bet. things in in tech um, yeah. and and you've mentioned to me over email like you know there were a lot of women early on in 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 the internet era in the web era um and just any thoughts that you have in terms of the contributions women have already made and hopefully the contributions that women can make more going, going
2: forward? I get First of all, I'm sure people give you kudos all the time, but I'm just so happy, really, that you're doing this because of the missing history of the web really is women. You know, when Walter Isaacson in his um, book, The Innovators, has an illustrated timeline, and when you get to 1994 and 1995, it's still pictures of men, and certainly men were the ones um, creating, you know, tech revolution. But how could it not be considered a revolution to take? What really, I mean, the computer at that point was an appliance, then you had a thing called the modem, Um, and to take it from nowhere with women and make it, I would say we were a primary driver of making it an indispensable, indispensable tool for women. That's a revolution, and we made that happen. Um, That has got to go down in the history books, and women Got the webbiness of the web. I mean, they're, they're, women are the ultimate connectors, mm-hmm. right? They're the ones that mm-hmm. connect people. Um, they, they say more words per day than men. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the web was made for them, mm-hmm. not in terms of tech, but in terms of what it could do. That is what women brought to it. It's what what can this thing do to make lives better? The
0: application the of it. The
2: application of it. You know, there was this thing called the Million Mom March, mm-hmm. where millions of mothers went down to Washington DC to protest about all these shootings that were going on in playgrounds and in schools. The Million Mom March organized at iVillage. Like, we didn't organize it. But if you had your, you know, your ear to the ground and listened to the message boards, no matter if it was on losing weight. You know, or um, or starting, uh, you know, home business, women were all in there saying, "I'll meet you at the corner of Vine and you know Pine tomorrow at 8 And then they all went down to Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't have organized that kind of movement without the web,
1: mm-hmm.
2: without a place like I Village. Well, my final question is
0: the generic one that I do for everybody, but being as how all this stuff is twenty years ago, <laughs> it's twenty years. Ago. <laughs> when, when you look back. Yeah, uh, the launch of of iVillage, if it's nineteen ninety five. Yeah. when you look back,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what do you feel? Pride, exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we did that. Mm-hmm. I, I could never do that again. <laughs> you know what? What do you feel?
2: I feel really blessed. Um, you know, the Candace came into my life. That we brought together the group of people. We were able to bring together to create this thing called i village um i i just to have created you know a movement on the web i feel it's the proudest i i feel so proud of it and you mentioned my daughter um she was a little kid <laughs> attending the the meetings that we had in our house, and it was a joke around here that if someone came to the door, she gave them a pad and a pencil because she thought they were coming to a meeting. And um, she's now working on a project, and I'm helping her with it, where she thinks that um, mobile apps are kind of at the primitive stage that the web was when we started iVillage 25 years ago. So what she's looking at now is making apps more navigatable, accessible, curatable for women. And she says a few good men, too. Because I always say to her, you know, if you make it good for women, it'll also be good for men. But if you only make it good for men, it probably won't be good for women. So she's about to start that business. And I think how cool. I mean, we're going to do the next generation of stuff with women in mind. I hope so. (laughs) Uh, Nancy
0: Evans, thank you for coming on the Internet History Podcast and and remembering all that great stuff for (laughs) us. Thank you. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great Internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is Pod, and my personal Twitter is McC. Thanks for listening.